Good morning, everybody. It's a joy to be here with you this morning. And let me welcome folks who are watching online. I know some of you would love to be here, but you can't. But may God really bless you as you sit with him and let his words speak truth into your lives too. So, in 1982, this stunning couple slightly thinner couple we got married and we had probably very little idea of what our lives would be like at that time we probably had some expectation that we might have a family we actually waited a while for that to happen but we had not actually put Jesus really at the center of our lives on that day so we actually had very little idea of what he might do in our lives But at that service, the minister preached from the book of John. And he talked about the wedding in Cana, where Jesus turned the water into wine. And how the best wine was served at the end, because Jesus had wonderfully intervened by that point. And the minister spoke to us and to the congregation to basically say, you've prepared for this day, you've spent ages getting your dress ready and everything else that you do for a wedding. But his main message was, but the best is yet to come. And so when Stephen asked me if I wanted to speak today, that phrase immediately seemed to pop into my mind. I hadn't been thinking about our wedding. And interestingly and unbeknown to me was that both Rick Warren at Saddleback Church and Nikki Gumbel at HTB also had this on their final final sermon. I'd like you to know I have not listened to their sermons because I thought I don't want to be influenced. We are continuing this uh, series, The Principles, and today we're looking at the principle of expectation. What should we be expectant of as children of God as we journey through life? The principle of expectation is looking at the understanding that God wants us to look to the future with an expectation of his goodness and his purposes in mind. Understanding he has goodness at his core, kindness, and he has purposes for us individually and as a church community. But that led me, as I was thinking about this over the last few weeks, what is it that gives us any sort of expectation? But particularly when we look at this, what gives us an expectation that God is good and that he has good purposes? So I thought of two questions. What or who has formed your expectations? I feel like we're about to take off. (laughs) Does your view of the future impact you now? So what or who has formed your expectations? Sorry, this is slightly (laughs) off-putting. But in all seriousness, I, I think that in our lives, we grow in expectations through all sorts of different reasons. Our life's experiences, what we've gone through as children and then as we've got older. Who are the people who helped you think about things about God? 
have their lives matched up with the words that they say. Now some of you, if you've been in this church a while, would know some of my backgrounds, and I know it's not particularly typical, but for me, I had an uncle and aunt and cousins who were sent by the Lord overseas. They went to what was then the Democratic Republic of Congo, DRC. They went there in the 1950s. And he was a doctor, she was a nurse, and the children were little ones. And whilst they were there in 1964, there was an uprising in that part of the world, and they, their lives were taken because they were working. They were white people, and their lives were taken there. So for me, I was aware of that as part of my history. I was only four years old when they passed away, and I don't actually have personal memories. I just have the ones that you see through photographs. But what I did notice was that my grandparents, it was their son, lived a life that did not show that they were living with trauma. Their expectations, you see, had been built around what they had learned about God as they'd grown up and as they had read. I saw my grandparents be people who every morning and every evening would read scripture and they would pray morning and evening. And I know they prayed for myself, my family, every day of my life until the Lord took them home, which thankfully for me, for my grandmother, she was 100. So I had a lot of days of prayer. But I watched their lives unfold and I saw beauty in them. And I saw that they lived and walked and spoke the same message. So for me, I have been kind of shrouded in that. I've been molded by it. Originally, when I was younger, I couldn't really understand how God could be good, though, if he allowed people to die for his purposes. But when I found out that on the first anniversary of that, that awful massacre, there were 14 people who died that day. On the first anniversary, 14 people gave their lives to the Lord. And there was something about that that made me think, wow. The time frame was sort of a year, but there were 14. And then when Andy and I had the luxury of going out to that very village about nine years ago, and we saw the church that had been built there in dedication to the martyrs there. And we saw a whole village alive with joy because they knew that these other people had laid down their lives so that they could get the best message in the world so that they could live free away from all the witchcraft and other stuff that happened in that area. And that was phenomenal. And we were in this church for the dedication and there were about 3,000 people inside and outside looking in. It was an amazing thing. Now, as any young person, you cannot just inherit your parents or your grandparents' understanding of God. You need to learn it for yourself, but it helped in my forming. But when I went to Bible college, I've been, had the luxury of going twice in my lifetime, once in my late 20s and then later as I trained to be a minister in, the, in my 50s. I've just over and over again, see how the Bible is rich with expectations that the people lived with. The expectation that even though an event may happen and they don't yet see what God is doing, later they see what God has done through that. It's that sort of expectation. I have grown to believe the Bible to be a reliable source 
of understanding the world, of who God is, of how this world works, and it has given me assurance. And I basically believe that God is the promise keeper. He is the one, if he has made a promise in scripture, we should expect it to be a reality. For myself, I guess, I've also seen that there can be a cost to following Jesus. Sometimes, although unusually, it can be the cost of one's life. That made an impression before we ourselves went out to work in Kenya. Reality being, you do wonder. I was aware of that. But that's my background. What's yours? Come back to these questions. What or who has formed your expectations of God? And does your view of the future impact you now? We're going to look at a number of scriptures over the morning here. First one is from Acts 1. This is the story of the ascension of Jesus. So let me read it to you. Then they gathered, that's they as the disciples, then they gathered around him, Jesus, and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? That had been their expectation. That's what they had thought was going to happen. He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Really? That was their question? <laughs> I mean, think about it. They've just seen Jesus being taken up into heaven. So interesting question. This same Jesus who has been taken from you will be taken, will, taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is a painting by this gentleman, John Singleton Copley. You see there the disciples looking up, some bowed down, just sort of aware of what is going on. And then you've got these two angels giving them this message. I mean, that's quite an unexpected event. And they're trying to take on all this new expectation. It wasn't what they thought was going to happen. And they've been encouraged to look at life through a different frame. And from this scripture, I think we can draw out a number of really important things. From this verse, we can see that this is God's mission for his people you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, said Jesus. You will be my, my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
We have a godly mandate, a word that's been used a lot recently. We have a mandate to be the people to do God's journey with us. His power in us for his purposes. We need to be considering this in our normal everyday lives. We have a purpose beyond just doing the normal things of life. So that's the first thing we need to be aware of, is we have a purpose in life that is bigger than just normal living. Secondly, men of Galilee, said those angels, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you've seen him go. Brothers and sisters, how much do we live our lives now with the expectation that Jesus is coming back? One of the things that we experienced when we did work overseas, the Sudanese who we were working with, with Wycliffe, they had a much more clear understanding that their future was about an eternal glory. Maybe because the ordinariness of life was much more fragile, death felt closer for them. But they had an expectation, and it really was one that kind of shone the truth back into their lives now. They knew they were going to go to a better place, and it took them into a sense of security and boldness. It was something we learned from them. We are to be people who are bold in the now because we have this bigger purpose. We don't know when he'll come back. We don't need to know. If we did need to know, he'd tell us. We don't need to know, but we are still in the, pro the point of living now with the purpose that he's given us. I want us to also look at another scripture, Revelation, written by John. He had been given a vision, and he's trying to explain what he saw. This is what he wrote. Then I saw a new heaven, a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! God's dwelling place is now among the people and he'll dwell with them. They'll be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Wow. I couldn't find a picture, <coughs> excuse me, a painting. I tried, I looked at loads. But none of them could include all of that. The old gone, the new come, God with his people, no more crying, no more sadness. But wow, what a joyful image. We live now, now between the first coming of Jesus, which we'll celebrate in a few months' time, at Christmas time, Emmanuel, God with us, and his second coming, which none of us know when it's going to happen. 
For years before he came the first time, people had the prophetic words all the way through the Old Testament. And people had an expectation the Messiah was going to come, but they didn't really know what he would look like, which is why the expectations of the original disciples wasn't right. But if, by the careful researching of those promises, when Jesus came, he fulfilled all of them. So we know that, we're so used to that, we go, yes, of course Jesus came, that's what we know. But how much are we looking forward to this fantastic new reality that this is going to happen? Now the focus of that could have a number of effects on us. Some people may think, well, this is a relatively short period of time on earth, so let's just look forward to the future. You know, get old gracefully, enjoy life, settle for ease. But if we do that, we miss out on the purpose for now, which is God's mandate for you and I in the normalness of life to live with an expectation of a powerful purpose. Now, this might sound like a bit weird, and I might be a bit bizarre, but I find visiting graveyards quite inspiring. The reason being, not just because I like reading all the little epitaphs you read, you get a synopsis of somebody's life. It may be an interesting thing to think, what do you want on your own gravestone? That would be a way of looking. But anyway, it's because when I'm there, whether my life's in a good place or not such a good place, it helps me remember one day my body will be in such a place. And therefore, because I'm aware that will happen at some time when I don't know when it will be, it gives me a real purpose. It makes me go, come on, Jackie, make your life count now. Make it stand for something. Because whether life's going well or badly, it's not all that there is if we keep walking with God and the Spirit in us. I think there is something about knowing that the end of suffering will come, which helps us when it's tough. I, I think, you know, when women go through labor, and you've, if you've had one baby, and you think, gosh, that was painful. I can remember lying in the maternity on my third delivery, and the labor pain's beginning, and I'm thinking, oh no, it hurts. I want to go home, I want this to be finished. But you go through it because you want to hold this little bundle, don't you? If that's ever been your luxury. It's, a, it's just like, yes, you go through the pain. Knowing that there is better to come means that it keeps us in going now. I'm now 62. When I was 26, I felt like life stretched out before me with lots to happen. Life just seemed to go and go. We were married, but we didn't yet have children. Now we have children who have children. And you see life differently as you kind of to go through life. And around that time, around age 26, there was a song we used to sing up at the other chapel. Some of you, if you're old enough like me, may know this one. I want to build with silver and gold in my generation. 
I want to build with silver and gold whilst I am alive. Anybody else remember this? Yes, a few. Good, heads nodding. I want to give my life for something that will last forever. Oh, I delight, oh, I delight to do his will. That song, that song still challenges me, particularly when, you know, I'm lazy. Yes, I can be lazy just like everyone else. But it's, it draws to my, my being the desire that not a day will go past when life isn't focused with the right focus. Jesus said, I came that you may have life, they may have life, and have it abundantly. We have such a purpose here on earth. We don't want just to get drowned, trodden by the tough stuff that we lose sight of all that God has for us. The Bible is actually full of metaphors about the brevity of life here on earth, which when we're younger, you just don't realize. It feels like it will go on and on. When you get more to my age, you realize there's the images of a mist, a fast runner, a breath, a wisp of smoke. That's how long our lives here on earth are. And yet when we're in them, they seem to go on for a long time. So, two truths from that that I just want to bring to our thoughts. Compared with eternity, Life is extremely brief, whether short or long in our terminology. And earth is only a temporary residence. You won't be here for long, so don't get too attached. I love the scriptures that talk about that we are journeyers through life. We are aliens and strangers, it talks about in other parts of scripture. The thing is, every time I think of aliens, I want to go... Anyway... We are foreigners, we are people who do not finally belong here because we have an eternal place which is ultimately our home. Jesus told a parable about how to get our true security in life. It's one of the shortest parables that we read, the parable of the hidden treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, sold all he had, and bought the field. Jesus used parables to communicate really deep mysteries about the kingdom of God. And in this one, the man finds something that he values so much, he's prepared to ditch everything. And here's the mystery, because we know salvation from God is a free gift, we don't have to work to gain salvation. But what are we willing to give up now we've got this gift? What life treasures do we have that somehow blot out the landscape of all that he has for us? I came across this quote this week. Finding Jesus is truly God fulfills our greatest needs satisfies our longings, makes us whole and clean before God, calms and quietens our hearts and gives us hope for the future. Do you, do I believe that? Jesus is truly God. He meets your and my deepest needs 
He satisfies our longings. He makes me whole. He makes me clean. He calms and quietens our hearts because we see the bigger picture. And he gives us that hope for the future. One person who truly understood this that we read about in scriptures is the Apostle Paul. We know him for the one who wrote copious letters that we can read in the New Testament. And I love the fact that he has so grounded his faith in his true reality. He used to be the Jew above all Jews. He was the one who everybody would have looked to. And he realized how it counted for nothing when he met Jesus on the Damascus Road. He realized all his expectations were completely wrong, upside down. And so he wrote to people in Rome, people who were going through persecution and difficulties, and he said to these people, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead. That was before they had understood who Jesus was and accepted his life for theirs. And now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. We really should be people who expect God will use us in our ordinary lives with our normal energies, our ups and downs, so that we can wake up every morning and know that not only do we have our ordinary tasks, but we have a greater task. Years ago, when I first came to Gold Hill, I belonged to the mother and toddler group then, which was called Poppin. That was on a Thursday. On a Tuesday, a group of us used to meet to pray for the non-believing mums who would come on Thursday. And we would gather and we'd have a small crèche for our children. And in that group, we would pray not only for the non-believers, but that we would become bold in being able to speak out, whether we're outside the school gates or whether it was our family. And we would actually pray and we would write down in a book all the prayer requests. And then the following week, we would look back at those requests and see how did God answer. And it was wonderful because we saw that the process of praying meant that we saw God on the, on the move. But it also meant that when you're standing at the school gate, you were thinking, that group of people have prayed that I'm going to speak to that person over there. So I better get over there because next Tuesday I'm going to have to report back if I did it. There was something suddenly helpful that we were to, on this journey together. Together we built the expectation that God would move when we prayed. Together we would join together and celebrate the small successes, the little conversations, the times that maybe we were bolder than we would normally be by our normal personalities. Now I know that you in your lives will have many things, many people that you're worried about, but can I encourage you to journey with others that's why as part of my role here, I've been a strong advocate of getting people into life groups, small groups, because it's when you're in a small group and you trust people, you'll talk openly about your joys and your sorrows and you'll have other people to pray with you. And then those people can champion you on to grow your expectation. This is a battleground here on earth. Jesus talked about that. The scriptures talk about we're in a battle. 
And we sometimes can think, oh, it's too much, it's too much. But we have this purpose. Now, as I was preparing for this sermon, knowing that this was with the leading that I believe God was telling me to talk through, I feel that God gave me an image. So I want to unpack that just a little bit. The image was of people sitting by a fireside. Don't know about you, I love fires. I love sitting there watching the flames, the warmth, the sort of sense of togetherness around a fireside. So I had this image that people were sitting by a fire, but then all of a sudden an intruder came in, an angry, horrid person who grabbed hold of one of the people sitting by the fire and pulled them out of their armchair and started to drag them towards the fire. And they were kicking and screaming and frightened because the fire stopped being this nice, warm thing and became the potential killer because you did not want to get thrown into the fire. And it was frightening. But then another being came into the room and grabbed hold of that intruder and pushed him away and the person was free. And the person was sobbing with gratitude. I'm sure we'd be grateful if we had been rescued. Just like a fireman rescues people from a fire, you'd be forever grateful. I believe God wanted me to pass that on because I believe God's saying, do not settle for less than I have for you. Know that you are to be people like the firefighter to draw other people away. In this case, in the image I had, he spoke to the people around the fire and said, with your gratitude, go and save other people from the fire. Living the rest of our lives for a purpose that is bigger will mean that we need to change our priorities, our schedules, our relationships, everything. It may mean choosing a difficult path rather than an easy one. We don't like talking about hell or separation from God. We don't talk about that as much as I remember it happened when I used to go to church with my grandmother. But Jesus talked about those things. They're real. They are part of the reason that should gird us up to want to actually say, I will not settle for less. My yearning for myself and for you is that you will give yourselves afresh to these understanding of your purposes. You have the purpose, the mandate from the most powerful being in this universe to be the tellers of truth. You are to be the people who pull others out of the fire to, st excuse me, to stop them going towards that destiny where they will not have a relationship with God. Let's not become so at ease with this message that we just think, oh yes, I know that, I go to church, this is all all right. This is the most incredible message that we sing about, we pray for. We are to be people who have purpose and we're girded up because one day this will be over and we will have that beautiful relationship with God 
whether we're taken before Jesus comes back or not, we have something remarkable that we're going towards. I cannot enable you to, to see that, but I believe we need to be people who cheer each other on in this because life is tough and we need help. Our final piece of scripture I just want to bring is, is from Hebrews 12. This, this piece of scripture for me, I just love it. It's an image of many people crowding around like the runners, like people do on the marathon day. And people who are running in the marathon say, oh, I couldn't have done it without that cheering, that constant positivity of the, of the crowd. And we have a great crowd, cloud of witnesses around you and I to champion us on. But even each other alongside, let's be champions for each other to know. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let's run with endurance the race set out for us. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter. The author and perfecter of our faith. who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We are to be people who love each other, who warmly accept the guests who God may bring in here. But you will also be people who consciously you go out to seek to save them because everybody needs to know this truth. <laughs> Encourage them that their best is yet to come. 